Welcome to Solutions from the Huddle, where we discuss meaningful business topics to add value to your efforts. Titus Bartolotta is a certified business coach that's often hired for one-on-one coaching, corporate training, and speaking engagements. Now, here's your host, Titus Bartolotta. All right, welcome to Solutions from the Huddle. Uh, I'm your host, Titus Bartolotta, and what a joy it is to have you and have your attention. I mean, listen, we're living in in 2020, and we're we're in the we're recording this in the midst of COVID-19, which means there is a lot going on, and so many things are capturing and demanding your attention. So, for you to pause for a moment and to either listen to this live, or or maybe you're you're catching this show uh, on the on on any of our podcast channels, but the fact that you're taking a moment and you're wanting to tune into Solutions from the Huddle, I just want to say thank you so much for that. If this is your first time then maybe you don't know that we get uh, local, regional, national, and global champions, founders, entrepreneurs, business leaders, people that are winning in life and business. That's what we do on the show. And we are discussing leadership, mindset, teamwork, uh, operational excellence, how to advance your life personally and professionally. That's what it's all about. And in the midst of the climate that we are living with today, I can't think of topics that are more important to talk about. And, and, uh, and that's what we're doing here today. Our guest today is somebody that's really exceptional. Um, I mean, you get to hear all these stats and, and accomplishments from all these folks that we bring on to the show. And today, this might be the best guest ever. And so for, for all the past guests, um, I, I want to apologize because we're going to have someone today that's going to kick your butt, man. I'm telling you right now, I feel great about this person's energy. Uh, I can't wait for you guys to get to know him better. Uh, but before we start, you know how we do things. Uh, here on Solutions from the Huddle, we start the program in prayer. And if you're listening to this on the radio, if you're in your car, you better keep both of those eyes open. Don't you dare close your eyes and bow your head with traffic lights. But here we go. Lord, we give you glory and honor for all things. Uh, we ask that you bless the show, our sponsors, our guests, everyone involved. Let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight. Amen. All right, let's get right into it. I'm going to read this because it's so good, I don't want to mess it up. And I, and I was telling myself, maybe I'm going to just wing it. Maybe I'm just going to let our guests say it, but it's too darn good. So I'm going to read this, and I'm going to try my best to get it right. Our guest today is Mr. Kip Roth. And, uh, and here's, what, here's the truth. And, and we're not sure if we're going to put this interview out on, on uh, video or if it's just going to be audio. But if it is video, you're going to want to make sure you watch that. Don't just listen, watch it, because this gentleman... Uh, there's some visual stuff that you're going to enjoy as well. But uh, born fingerless with uh, severely deformed arms and hands, Kip Roth underwent years of surgeries to build hands and give him a chance in a normal life. Kip attended and skied for the University of Colorado and was a four-time national disabled ski champion and a member of the U.S. Para... Paralympic. Paralympic, thank you so much, team, and a two-time silver medalist for them as well. Uh, An attorney, Kip litigated for one of the largest firms in the country, served as a labor counsel and director for alternative dispute resolution for a Fortune 20 company, and later started his own law firm, developing a successful civil rights practice. As lead uh, plaintiff's counsel on multiple class actions, Kip represented over 56 million 56 million disabled Americans against numerous Fortune 500 companies to change discriminatory practices. Today, Kip is a business coach, 
owns a real estate franchise and is a national keynote speaker. He's appeared on Good Morning America and has numerous other television and radio credits. But more important than all that, he's here. He's on Solutions from the Huddle. All right. I, we don't care about no Good Morning America. You are with us right here. And my God, are we grateful to have you, Kip. Thank you for being here. Welcome to the program. Titus, this is my pleasure. I'm very grateful for the opportunity. I tell you what, I think, I think what you just said was that I kicked Grant Cardone's butt. <laughs> Right, that, you got that right. You got that I right. have not. I, I have not had the pleasure of meeting that man, but I sure hope he doesn't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'm putting the word out. I'm dropping the gauntlet. I'm putting pressure on you and pressure on the rest of the world that when you come on the show, you got to bring the noise. Kip, tell us a little bit about your journey because I did the best I could to read that, but man, there's no way I'm going to do a better job than you of sharing your story. And today, the solution from today's huddle, and that's what we do here on the show. The, we want to talk about solutions, we want to huddle up with human beings and, and figure out how we solve problems. So the solution from today's huddle is going to be things like perseverance and focus and winning and being strategic. But before we get to that, I think everybody wants to know more about you and kind of your journey. Can you walk us through it? Of course. And thank you, Titus. It, my journey was dramatically impacted by my shape. You face four basic challenges when you're born into a beauty-obsessed society, and you show up grotesquely disfigured. You, you, the challenge number one for me was finding some fingers, okay? So we found fingers. I had a, a flat, fused flipper with a, a rudimentary bone structure inside of it. So uh, the initial advice from the medical professionals where I was born in Grand Force, North Dakota, was amputate his arms and institutionalize that, that's what they did with the majority of persons with, with acute physical impairments back when I was born in 1964. Fortunately, my parents said no, and they found a surgeon who was willing to take a chance and try to get, build me a set of hands. And so that's what they did. I underwent years of surgeries and casts and braces and rehab. And eventually I came out with a set of hands that have tremendous, tremendous functionality. Wow. even though they look uh, quite a bit different. And that's really shaped my life from day one. And it shaped my life in, in, in ways that people would never expect. So I know with your training with John Maxwell and your background and your coaching expertise, you're aware of the necessity of, of running toward your fears and facing challenges. That's right. It, it, in fact, the definition of human happiness is the perception of forward progress toward a worthy goal mm, I well i would i was born with that yeah. okay because the first challenge is finding fingers number you know number two is figuring is making them work which is what all the rehab was about the third challenge is attempting to get along in a world built for people shaped like you when you're shaped like me and the fourth challenge is the mental test is is the test of your spirit and of your heart but the beautiful thing about being born this way is it's guaranteed recipe for an optimist mm. Be because my noble aim, my, my overriding goal, my transcendent value was to achieve 100% physical independence. So what did I do? Every day as a kid, I get up and I work on figuring out how to do the things that you took for granted, such as zipping my coat, buttoning my shirt figuring out how to use a toothbrush because my goal was not to live a parasitic life. I did not want to be dependent upon anybody else. So you take the definition of human happiness, which is the perception of forward progress toward a worthy aim. 
Yeah. And every single day I woke up, Titus, I could do something that I couldn't do the day before. Wow. That's every awesome. single you know, every single day I woke up, I was stronger than the day before. I had yeah. more dexterity than the day before. I could go to my parents and say, hey, you know, look what I can do now. You know, it took me six years to figure out how to button my shirt. Mm. And this might sound silly to you, but every time I button my shirt, I, I get a rush. Yeah, that's right. Because of where I'm from. But, but it, people, if you look up the definition, excuse me, look up the synonyms for the word disabled in thesaurus.com, you're going to come across just a trash heap of negative stigmas and it, it's it's unfortunate that society defines us or devalues us that way but my experience was entirely different simply by virtue of the fact that i spent the first 20 years of my life chasing independence which gave, which gave me a you know a wonderful foundation for optimism because i achieved it yeah i love that i absolutely love that entire mindset that entire approach to it you know one of the things that that you just said that really hit me right in the heart, uh, especially the timing of our, of our recording of this is, is you had to search for, and your, your parents had to search for fingers. That, that's what you had to go find. And we got a whole, we got a whole world right now that's freaking out because they can't find toilet paper, right? They're trying to find, they're trying to find Clorox wipes and they're losing their mind and they're freaking out. But what kind of, what kind of a, 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 a reality check, to say that somebody was trying to find fingers. Somebody was trying to put together and shape and mold, not figuratively, but literally hands to touch the world. I, I mean, I, I absolutely love that. That's so inspiring. And I wanna ask you, um, Kip, at, at any point did you get mad or, or angry or frustrated um, with your parents for or, or yourself for, for taking this particular journey. I would imagine that as you advance and become an adult and you go, well, I'm glad I got arms and hands because, you know, it may have been hard. You're talking about cast and you're talking about surgeries and you're talking about all of this stuff. And at the time you may have thought maybe it's not worth it. Um, but today I would imagine you probably go, well, God, I'm so glad we did that then so that I could have this now. But were there moments maybe where you lost sight of that or, or did you always have this, this perception you have today? No, that it was. Listen, there are easier lives. Yeah, <laughs> you know, there's no doubt about that. Yeah. And and just like everybody else, I had my moments. But it's funny about my parents. It it had to register as somewhat of a disappointment in the delivery room when you know I show up looking like I've been playing with explosives. Okay, but yeah. not once did they ever give that away. You know, I'm a father now. I know what the pressure is. I know what it's like to have a baby and not know whether it's going to be healthy or not. Sure. And, and, you know, my wife, because of my genetic issues, my wife and I suffered, my wife suffered several miscarriages. Um, I, I understand the pressure of that. But my parents had, had a focus on never once relenting, never once showing weakness, never once saying anything that would buy into my frustration. So each of them developed a mantra over the years. And quite honestly, I think the mantra was more for them than mm. it was for me. But my mom's mantra was, it will get better, it will get better, it will get better. So every time I grew frustrated, every time I couldn't do something, every time I couldn't zip my jacket or figure something out or was being you know, bullied or made fun of at school and I came home in tears, my mom would say, I promise you, it will get better, it will get better. Wow. And my father's mantra was, you'll figure it out. And he drove me nuts because every time, every single time I attempted to do something with what at the time were just pink 
puffy, scarred up lumps of useless flesh attached to my arms. Every time I tried to get them to do something, simple, simple tasks, like cut a pork chop, uh, he would turn around and walk away and say, you'll figure it out. Wow. You'll figure it out. And I hated the guy for it. Okay. I didn't understand it. Yeah. But, by, you know, it's like it's a quote attributed to Mark Twain is when I was 15 years old, I was embarrassed by how stupid my father was. And I was really pleased with the progress he'd made by the time I turned 21. <laughs> <laughs> so by the time I was 21, I figured out, you know, the old man is pretty damn smart because <laughs> by, by, you know, by letting me figure everything out, uh, that's how I achieved independence. So my parents had those mantras, but absolutely, I grew frustrated. It, uh, there are easier paths in life, but that's the beauty of my shape. By walking the path that not many have the opportunity to walk, you have experiences and develop traits and, and attributes that match the challenge. And But for the journey I walked, I wouldn't be who I am now. So today, I have tremendous, immeasurable gratitude around the experiences I, I had and the opportunity given to me by, you know, the hands that I have, because you look it up, there are plenty of folks out there who did not have the surgery to give them fingers. Sure. And, uh, many were institutionalized. And when they reached the age of majority, some of them actually were expelled from the institutions and made, made livings as circus freaks. Wow. It, it was not a good landscape back when I was born. So I am incredibly fortunate. And there's not a day that goes by that I don't remember that. Uh, tell me, tell me how important a sense of humor is right now, right? Because we had a we had a little bit of a conversation before we started today, um, and and just I mean again the, the the just the spirit and the joy that kind of pours off of you, and then you say that you know when when you were in the uh, uh, the room when you when your parents gave birth and it came out and it looked like you've been playing with explosives. I chuckled, I laughed. I want to make sure all of our listeners know laugh. Uh, have fun. This this is a man. If you're not watching, he's laughing. He's smiling. He's putting his hands up in view of the camera every second he can, because uh, it's not something to be scared about, right? You even said to me, "You go, no, I want people to be comfortable with this." And I noticed that you threw that joke out there, um, and, and I wonder, in in some way, are you, do you do that to make others around you feel comfortable and know, hey, listen, I get it. I, you know, I know what my hands look like. Let's move on. Let me show you what my heart's made of, right? I mean, how important is humor? In your in your practice, both personally and professionally, of connecting with people and making sure that there's a comfort level that allows you to advance those relationships. You know that's that's a really 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 insightful question because you're asking me how I handle how other people perceive me and what you said specifically was you know I, me making them comfortable and there was a time in my life when I believed that was my responsibility. Mm to make other people comfortable. But around 2021, I realized, you know, there's 7 billion of you Titans. Yeah. Okay. And every single time I walk out the front door, I encounter new people. All right. So you walk into a room and you, you're not threatening. The, the initial psychological reaction of people is you don't present a threat. Well, because of my shape, there's a certain percentage of the population that I just scare the hell out of them. You know, a couple times per year, as a matter of fact, complete strangers scream at, at my appearance. Mm. Um, and I used to care about that. 
But about 20, 21 years old, I realized, I'll tell you, I'll tell you how I came to realize it. I, I used to be a bicycle messenger and I stopped at the 7-Eleven to take a break after work one night. I went in and bought a soda and I'm sitting on the curb at the 7-Eleven out in front of, uh, of the 7-Eleven. I'm sitting on the curb with my bike. I got my Walkman. I'm listening to my tunes and I'm sitting there with my drink and some woman pulls in in a Buick. And she gets out, goes inside, makes a purchase, comes out. And I'm, I'm looking down, I'm shaking the ice in my cup and listening to my music. And she walks over and she drops her change in my cup. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Are you, you know, And, you know, it took me a moment for it to register what had just happened. But wow. that's, you know, Western cultures, the strain they put on people who are different. You know, the, the, the presumption is that we're useless. And I was an object of of yeah. pity and so she was trying to take care of me so as an initial yeah. matter yeah. as an initial matter um i was very you know grateful it was a very kind gesture but i stood up i dug her money out of my cup and i said listen lady thanks a lot but i got a job i'm really i'm gonna go <laughs> um but it hit me on the way home riding my bike home after that shift uh that it doesn't matter what i do it doesn't matter you know, how many ski races i win how many you know, how long I go to school, what degrees I get, the grades I get. It doesn't matter what I do. People are going to have their assumptions about me and my capabilities and my capacity. And that was, that was just a wonderful, wonderful, amazingly powerful lesson to learn at the age of 20 or however old I was. Because I realized at that point, I, I, it's not my job to make people comfortable. Because I will spend the rest of my life making them comfortable. And once I made that realization... The beauty of it is, I'm just myself. I yeah. walk in and wear short sleeve shirts. I go to the beach, take my shirt off. I was asked to leave the beach one time. Wow. I've been asked many, many times to cover it up. I've been asked to leave public places. Um, but if this, you know, when, after that incident with the woman in the parking lot where she threw a change in my cup, I realized if I give any more concern to what these people think of me, I, I'm, I'm never going to reach my full potential. So if you're comfortable with me, that's awesome. Great. We'll get along fine. If you're not comfortable with me, that's okay too. I don't have to waste my time on you. Yeah. Wow. What a great perspective. You know, I, 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 I deal with a lot of um, salespeople, uh, professionals that are communicating. And so we, we oftentimes talk about how to relate and connect and, um, and, and comfort is, is a tool, right? Comfort is a way to advance the conversation. It's a way to, uh, get someone's guard down, not so that we can take advantage of them, but so that we can connect with them and so that we can build a bridge. And so I love that it's something that you're mindful of, but something that doesn't uh, dictate your decisions and, and control you. You're not subservient to it. Um, but obviously, I, I, the spirit and the generosity and, and the joy from you, you know, you're not trying to make people uncomfortable, but it's not ruling your world. And I think that, that that's such a wonderful takeaway from that story, that epiphany at just what age, 20, 21? 20, right around 20. And, and it, um, it, it was an incredibly powerful experience. Oh, and it, it really is true freedom. Yeah. Okay. It's true freedom. How you feel about me is none of my business. The beauty of my shape is it's a great, it's, it's a wonderful way to detect. It, it's, it's a detector. See, misshapen people, people with a, a compromised body envelope often implicate the human disgust reflex. Mm. Okay, so the, the looks I get. Okay, I mean, a couple times a year, a complete stranger approaches me, Titus, and says, you know, if I look like you, I'd kill myself. 
Wow. Um, it, it, it implicates the disgust fact, uh, reflex. It, it, it causes fear, and that's okay. Okay. It, it's perfectly fine. It, it's not something, it, it's actually a blessing because, listen, I, I'm a little bit misshapen. <laughs> I'm missing pinkies. And honestly, if I'm dealing with somebody who can't overcome whatever innate response they have to that and recognize it and, and classify me as something other than a threat or something other than to be avoided, it's a blessing to me because, like I said before, I don't need to invest in that. I mean, how many times in your life have you said, I wish I knew now, excuse me, I wish I knew then what I know now? That's right. Yeah. I mean, how many, how many people have been in relationships, you know, for years, for decades, who said, if I'd only known that about that person back then, I never would have gone down that path. That's right. That's right. Okay. So, so I've been denied you know, countless jobs because of the way I look. That's a blessing to me. Mm. A discrimination is, is a horrific, horrific reality for many, many people, including myself. I just have a different mindset on it because I want to know up front if you don't want to work with me because I look different, because, because I'm just not going to be able to reach my full potential. I'm not going to get enough out of you to justify my time investment in that opportunity. Wow. So it's a blessing. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I love that. Again, just great insight. Uh, time is something we can't buy. It's something we can't get more of. It's something that we, it, it's our most precious commodity. And for you, you see this as a way to uh, avoid wasting your time. Fast forwarding to the, the position of awareness and knowledge and understanding and, and just not lingering in an, in an, uncertain space getting right to knowing what the heck other people think and feel and then being able to to live in that awareness i mean what a what a what a wonderful way to look at it and use the word a blessing i absolutely love that how do you deal with individuals that are well let me ask it this way have there been scenarios where somebody's initial response reaction personally professionally uh wasn't a response, a reaction that really, that really showcased who they were, right? Maybe they had that disgust. Maybe they were scared. Maybe they were all these things you talked about. And, uh, but it turned out they were able to navigate and then you get, you go find out that they're an amazing, wonderful, talented person. That's a part of your life. But, but, but in the, their first, uh, their first uh, impression wasn't good. Right. And, 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 it, and gosh, if we would have judged that person by that, that, that cover, you never got to read halfway into that book. I'm sure there's a scenario or two. How do, how do you, how did you deal with that? How do you get past that in certain key scenarios so that you can have some of these relationships that you maybe otherwise wouldn't have had? Well, that's, that's a question I've never been asked before. So I, I, I appreciate that. Listen, you're in the, you're in the human potential business. You're in the, in the personal growth business. At least part of your function is in helping people advance in various areas of their life, be it business, personal relationships, whatever. Sure. I'm in this, I'm in the same business. Yeah, yeah that's why I'm asking. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So we take people whose businesses, whose lives, they're, they're directionless. And, and oftentimes we succeed in, in giving them some direction and moving them closer to their, their goals. It's called growth. Okay. That's what turns, you know, turns my crank. That's what it's all about for me. Okay. So I come across somebody whose initial response to me being misshapen might not be ideal but that's an innate response because mm. that's hardwired i look different 
Sure. Regardless of your conception of the creation, we've been around a long, long time. And one of our biggest safety features is the ability to discern difference. And that's kept us alive because, you know, it didn't work really well for, for the Native Americans in America when Columbus showed up, right? You know, I mean, the, the disease and whatnot, there's a reason we have this innate capacity to differentiate between people. There's a reason we gravitate to people who look like us. It's innate. And we can't wipe that slate clean because MLK had a dream. That's not going away. So I understand that initial response. The challenge is, can they overcome it? The challenge is, can they control that initial emotional response? And the folks that can, great. It's forgotten. It's not even, I don't even notice it. Yeah. Okay, if somebody wants to be friends with me, let's be friends. Let's go play golf. Let's have dinner. Let's, let's do whatever we're going to do. Let's work together. If you're not, that's okay, too. It's not my problem. Uh-huh. Okay, it, it, it reflects on, on your level of development, where you are in your life. There's nothing wrong with it. Sure. Yeah, I've had people, the initial response was they had trouble, uh, you know, reconciling their initial emotional response with their subsequent understanding. And it's nothing to be afraid of. And they come around. Yeah. We're talking with Kit Roth right here on Solutions from the Huddle. Uh, ski champion, business coach, entrepreneur, real estate owner. Um, just a talented, successful man. Married, kid. How many kids? I've got two kids. I've got a 21-year-old girl and an 18-year-old boy. So uh, a professional parent over here. I've got a, I've got a six and a five-year-old, so I'm still trying to figure things out. But Kip <laughs> is our, our guest today, and we're learning uh, so much about him and such great perspectives. Uh, let's navigate towards your professional life um, relative to the, to the law firm. You've got a successful practice. Um, you do a lot of things successfully, but kind of navigate what the passion was that took you into that direction. Clearly, um, a, I read in the bio uh, that you've helped so many people overcome some, some discrimination in the workplace. I can't imagine what a, what a huge feather in your cap that is to actually make meaningful change relative to something that's so personal to you. Tell us a little bit about how you get into that, that practice, um, how that becomes your profession, and, and maybe some of the things that you learned along that journey. Sure. I, in the original film Star Wars, and I'm going to butcher the names, but there was a barroom scene where I believe Luke Skywalker and somebody else walked into a bar that was full of freaks, full of creatures uh, from various galaxies, various shapes and sizes and colors, just oddities. Okay, and Spielberg put that in the movie. Oh, I missed something. And the response was nothing. Luke and whoever he was with didn't even acknowledge that they were different. Spielberg put it in the movie for a reason, because he said that ultimately that's where we need to get Mm. as a species. We need to look past people's differences. We're all one and the same. And, and, and that struck me because if you compare that to where we are today, the next 5,000 years in the future, because as I said, it's an innate response to, to see and respond to physical differences. All right. But that scene had a profound effect on me because I I look at where we are today as a society and and we are a long way from that. So my initial path as an attorney was representing blue chip corporations for large law firms and then in-house as in a Fortune 20 um, concern. And and that was all well and good, but it was just so bloody unfulfilling because, you know, quite frankly, it didn't matter to me if I saved some 
Fortune 100 company 50 grand by bludgeoning some poor victim of discrimination. It just uh, didn't really float my boat. Sure. So I flipped over to what they call the dark side, and I walked out the door, walked out of a, walked away from a great job, an incredible opportunity, and founded my own civil rights law firm. Wow. And uh, and started trying to help real people. Now, one of my first cases, for example, was a brain injured gentleman in Florida who, uh, because of his brain injury, he walked with a staggered gait and had slurred speech. Well, the guy got arrested every other week because um, he'd, walk, he'd walk into a store and they'd think he was drunk. Yeah. Okay, so he'd walk out and get in his car and they'd call 911. Um, it was a wreck in his life. Okay, so that that turned into an opportunity to put on education seminars for a local police department, get it straightened out, and give them a a card signed by the police chief that you know don't pull me over if you do I'm fine. And and, and that morphed into class action. So for example, multiple banks around the country were charging visually impaired people exorbitant fees for raised blind or braille checks. Ridiculous fees. These people are, are destitute. They're, they're, many of them are unemployed because society considers them unemployable. And here's a bank coming along charging them 75 bucks for 35 checks. Wow. <laughs> so uh, we pursued that with, uh, with some abandon and achieved a good result across multiple banks. But there's a lot of cases like that that made a difference in people's lives. So yes, it was very, very re rewarding. But at the same time, uh, Litigation is not a whole lot of fun. Federal court class action litigation is a little bit stressful. <laughs> yeah, a little bit stressful. So um, when I got to when I got to 40 years old, I said, I've had enough. And uh, I was living in Florida at the time. I, I closed the law firm, bought a real estate franchise in Salt Lake City, uh, Utah, moved the family across the country to a city I'd never been to and started over. I love it. So we, we were... We find out that you're you you go to school, you're skiing, you're a champion skier. Then you go take over law and help millions of people and help change the way that that people's lives are impacted and what's what's allowed and what's not allowed. And you help an entire segment of the human population. And then you go, I'm bored. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go tackle and win another thing. I'm just you know it's a, it's a Thursday at this point. Um, and you move on. And I, so I want to hear about real estate. Before we do that, I just want to say really quickly, thank you to so many of our, our vendors and our partners and our sponsors, sponsors of our program. Uh, our good friend, CET Magic Computer Repair right here in Mooresville, North Carolina. Rockbox, Riverwalk in South Carolina. These guys are keeping folks fit. Uh, MS Digital Solutions for your IT and web needs. Speedy Oil Change, Mobile Smash Rooms. And of course, our good friends at Easy Living Technologies on an audio video firm right here. In North Carolina. Uh, tell us about how you take over the real estate world. Because again, you got bored, you're saving lives, you're changing the world, you're skiing, you're getting all these trophies, right? I mean, you're, you're, you're bragging about how amazing and awesome your hands are better than everyone else. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but, but I love your worldview. I love your passion. I love your direction. And then you go, let me go do a thing I've never done before. Let me go, let me go do, let me go do that and win in that. Tell me a little bit about the real estate stuff. Well, it, it, kind of began in tragedy when my father died when I was 40 and, and he passed away from cancer and he was living about an hour away from us in Florida. And every day I'm driving to the hospital to see him as he's, as he's dying. And my father was an amazing, an amazing 
man who worked in an industry. He worked very, 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 very hard in an industry for 35 something years. Wow. And I just looked at him and, you know, I had 10 years, 12 years of retirement. And, and I looked at him and I said, man, I got, I don't want to do that. I don't want to work at something that I really don't enjoy anymore, specifically law. And then, you know, retire and, and 10 years later, I'm done. Yeah. So I said, I want to have joy now. I want to have fun now. I want to pursue my dreams and I want to have children and I want those children to be raised on skis like I was. And so I'm driving down I-75 in Florida every day and I'm passing this big billboard that says, we buy ugly houses. So I dial them up, have a conversation with uh, one of the sales reps, bought the franchise, the first franchise in Salt Lake City, Utah. And six months later, uh, I moved out there alone to start the company and left the wife and the two kids behind to sell the house and uh, lived in a uh, in-town suites for a few months before they showed up and we got an, apar- an apartment and uh, just started buying and buying and rehabbing and flipping houses and had a blast. Were you doing this uh, during the housing crash, 2008, 2009? Yeah, it's funny. I, I started that business in 2005, January 2005. And in 2008, I flipped 38 houses. I think it was my best year ever for flipping houses. But, uh, you know, suddenly the equity started disappearing and Lehman Brothers goes under and everything's going sideways. And you you wake up in the morning, you read the front page of the newspaper, you choke on your cornflakes because the world's falling apart. Yeah, yeah. So while everybody was running away from retail real estate, I went and got my, my license. And uh, I stepped into the void left by all the people running away from real estate. I, I did a few hundred short sales over the next few years and increased my market share. And uh, we were very, very successful during that downturn. I love that. Um, Man, that's great. Yeah, it worked out really well. That's beautiful. Um, you know, I, I'd love to know what, what your mind and heart and, and your advice and your expertise says in the middle of the crisis we're dealing with right now. And so keep in mind, folks are going to listen to this show and uh, things are so fluid relevant to COVID-19 that an hour after the, uh, that we, we taped this, it, something's going to be different, right? Uh, so we want to make sure listeners know that we're recording this in April, 2020, but they might listen to it, Kip, they might listen to this uh, in 2021, right? And people are listening all across the planet. And this is such a wonderful topic that I'd love to ask you about because we have listeners from across the globe, not just in our state. I mean, we literally have them across the world. And this is a crisis that's impacting the world, probably more so than the housing market crash that was very impactful to many countries, but not the entire world went through what some of us went through in 2008, 2009. You thrived through that crisis then. You thrived through the adversity uh, of life and, and some of the physical challenges that you've turned into uh, advantages, perhaps. Um, what do you say about what's going on right now with COVID-19 that's, that's maybe impacting the world in, in as big, if not bigger, of a, a way that, than anything we've, we've seen before? What, what's your thoughts and, and what words do you have for folks right now in the midst of this crisis? Sure. As a preliminary matter, we have to be careful when we talk about this because I am, I am in no way going to intimate or imply that this is anything less than serious. Sure. Okay. It, it's serious. People are dying. Okay. But even, even in the worst of circumstances, you define your reality. Yeah. Okay. So you can define this as a disaster and, 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 and feed into the panic and feed into the fear and get and turtle and go fetal position under your desk. 
and disappear from the market and you will lose. Okay. But here's what I know for a fact. Somebody wins in every market. Somebody wins in every single market out there. There's always a winner. And I know what that guy looks like. All right. And, and it's the person who defines this current circumstance in a way that empowers them. And on a personal level, I define this circumstance as an opportunity. Now, I'm not talking dollars and cents. Here's what I'm talking about. C.S. Lewis has a really famous quote. Well, I don't know if it's famous. It's one of my favorite quotes. C.S. Lewis wrote, was life so kind to you that you left with regret? Mm. All right. Wow. You and I both know from the co coaching space, people who shy away from difficulty, adversity, challenge, they run from their fears. Yeah. Well, what defines us, what gives us the grist for the mill, the juice in this life is running toward our fears. Yeah. Okay. I don't want to get to the end of this life and look back and say, you know what? I never took a chance. That's right. Every Every time I felt a headwind, I turned around and walked with the wind instead of walking into that wind, instead of leaning in. Okay, so set aside the dollars and cents, all right? I'll get to that in a second. But the bottom line is, this is an opportunity that most people will never see again in their lives to define who they are. Yeah. Okay, you're a father. Those little eyes are watching you as how you respond, speak, and act in the face of this adversity. You are teaching your children right now how they will behave in the future when they have a bad day. Okay, so step in, step up, run toward your fears. This is an opportunity to take the test. See, that's the beauty of being misshapen, being born you know, all screwed up. I had to take the test. Okay, because if you don't, you know, the first advice was cut his arms off and put him in an institution. The first day I showed up at school, they sent me home. All right, they said, kids who look like that don't go to school here. And that was the second attempt to put me into an institution. And fortunately, I had the parents who said, no, we're going to put this guy in public school and see how he does. See, that was the test. It's not as though they, it's not as though they could tell me, Kip, put on a long sleeve shirt and sit in the back. Nobody will notice. Right. So it's a test. It's a test I didn't want to take, but it's a test I took. And by taking that test, I became who I am. That's the opportunity that this presents. Now, from a dollars and cents perspective, uh, this is not 2008. The fundamentals of the economy were sound before this bug showed up on our shore. And I believe that the fundamentals of the economy will return to sound when this bug leaves. The fundamentals of the housing market, we have significantly greater equity on a household-to-household -household basis than we did essentially at any time from 2008 to 2012. Um, home affordability is significantly more, um, it, homes are far more affordable, which is one of the key indicators of the strength of, of the housing market. And, and, and finally, the percentage of, of, of appreciation the last few years, while red hot, was not the same as the percentage of the appreciation from 2003, 2004 to the crash. Mm. We're in a much better position in the housing market. Indeed, 2008 was caused by, you know, bank failures related to the housing market. And I'm paraphrasing, and somebody, you know, might question that, but it was it was definitely related to the to to uh, an unhealthy housing market. We have a we have a healthy housing market right now. So, and I'm telling my clients, step up, man, step into it because you can disappear or you can step up and and fill the void in the market left by the huge percentage of agents who are just going to disappear because of fear. Yeah. We're talking with Kip Roth right here, Solutions from the Huddle, um, champion skier, uh, lawyer, 
father, husband, business professional, and, and he's got some input, some insight relative to real estate, giving us his uh, his insight about COVID-19. Kip, I agree with you, by the way. Um, you know, I, I, I tell my clients, I tell my friends, I tell the people that I care about, I tell the stranger that stares at me too long at the gas pump, um, I tell anybody that'll listen that, um, that not only will we get through this, but we get we get to go through this. Yes. And, you know, I look at what people might define as, as uh, tragedy and, and, and hardship and adversity. And I, and I say, you know, if Drew Bledsoe didn't get hurt and create massive panic, massive fear, massive uncertainty for the, 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 the Patriots, they wouldn't have called the kid off the bench, Tom Brady, who goes on to be the greatest of all time. And I hate with every fiber of my being, the Patriots, because I'm originally from New York. So as a baby, my mother would burp me, but long before anyone knew Tom Brady's name and would whisper, we don't like anything Red Sox or Patriots related. Um, so those of you that know me well, to, for me to say how great Tom Brady is, you know that I am trying to help people uh, and save lives right now in order to use that analogy. But my point is, in the midst of what we're going through, adversity gives us an opportunity for advancement and an advantage. And so I agree with you. And, and I do think that we're going to go back to a strong economy. I do think that it's unprecedented. Uh, I've never seen this in my life. I can't find anybody that's ever said, yeah, we used to do this. You know, uh, we, we didn't shut the world down for polio. Uh, we didn't do it for SARS and, and, and all the other things and H1N1. So this is truly uh, a different time. This is history. This is a historic moment. And, you know, I tell people, you know, when you listen to someone else's story and people talk about how they went through concentration camps and, and, and they got through Nazi Germany or some, some of our, our war heroes, Kip, the, these World War II guys that are in their 80s and 90s and, and older today, and they talk about what they saw. And we may never see a world war again. I don't know. I certainly hope not. But when you listen to these individuals that did things that are in books, um, what we're going through right now will be in a book one day. And, you know, I certainly think that it's hilarious that we asked our World War II veterans to be 18 years old and go to a country they couldn't spell, uh, let, alone, let alone ever be at, and, and, and bleed and sweat. And we asked the whole world to build stuff while we were over there fighting. Today, we're asking people to sit at home and watch Netflix, you know, um, so yeah. it's not, it's certainly not the same, but but what we're doing uh, is going to be in a history book. And I wonder, I wonder to your point, these little eyes are watching what we're doing. Our friends, our coworkers, our clients, our employees, our neighbors, our friends, they're watching us. And I wonder, I wonder how we are going to measure up. And I challenge and encourage people just like you are to step up, to step in uh, and to be loud and bold about it too. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for this to be an opportunity for people to show the real metal of their character in a big way. Uh, so I'm with you. I mean, I'm locking arms with you right now and championing that we need people like you um, uh, and, and other folks like that that's, that's championing the world to be kind and to be hopeful and to be a leader. Uh, and to be a leader in crisis is not something that you get to do every day. You have to wait for a crisis to do it. Um, I, I'd love to be, let this be a transition into the business coaching. I get so geeked out about, about coaches, man, whether it's life coach, business coach, any form of coaching, I, there is nothing that brings more joy, Kip, nothing to my life. 
Now I come across some coaches and people on our industry that say they have the abundance mindset. Cause that's what, that's what the bumper sticker that you put on the back of your car says, right? It's the t-shirt. Uh, it's all the, the quotes and memes. Uh, but then a lot of folks don't really walk that walk. Um, they're full of crap. You know, they talk about abundance, but they're really scared. And they, and they, they, there's all these other coaches. Don't, no, 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 no. Look at me. Look at me. I don't do that. <laughs> the name of my company is called collaborative solutions group. The word collaborative means I can't go it alone. I can't be by myself. I can't be, I'm like the Avengers. I like Superman and, and, and Spider-Man and Captain America. I want to get us all together because then we can beat the bad guy. So I can't wait to champion this segment of your life, which is coaching. Uh, it doesn't matter that you do something similar to what I do. You, you are wonderful and beautiful and awesome. And the world needs a coach. I don't need to be their doctor. I just want them to be well. So tell them, tell the world a little bit about what you do for the coaching and, and, and make sure you include how they can reach out to you and maybe hire you, especially in these times. Sure. Uh, I have the privilege of working for the Tom Ferry organization. Mr. Tom Ferry is the number one real estate coach in the world. Five years running, I believe. Mm. And, and to your point about walking the walk, I, one of Tom's top coaches, a personal friend of mine, and he might not know it, but a mentor of mine named Bill Pipes said, said, made one of those transformative statements that I'll never forget. He, he said, you can't coach to what you learn. You have to coach to what you live. All right. So if you're not living what you're teaching as a coach, that lack of authenticity is going to shine through. Yeah. It, right. it's, it's going to be readily apparent. You're simply not going to drive the results. You're not going to move the needle. And Tom Ferry moves the needle. It, uh, he routinely 10Xs people's businesses. As a matter of fact, the National Association of Realtors posts that the average gross commission income for the typical realtor in America is $39,000. Tom's average client in his, his company-wide lowest program the average GCI is $390,000. We 10X people's businesses because we give them a plan, we hold them accountable, and we coach them to reach their potential. And I love coaching. It's, it's in my blood. I live it, eat it, sleep it, breathe it. It's, it's the greatest thing I've had the opportunity to do in my life because in a lot of ways, it's a lot like law. When somebody hires you to be a lawyer, you go into the company, you tear it apart, you find out what's going on, how everything works, who's on first, who's on second, what they're all about. You have an opportunity to step into their lives. Yeah. Okay. And then when the case is over, you step out and go on to the next one. All right. So it's a continuous input of new and exciting and different opportunities. Same thing in coaching. I get to walk into somebody's life and rearrange some things, hopefully collaboratively, and get them to where they want to go. And it's an absolute privilege. And uh, I've been doing it for multiple companies for multiple years. I've been with Tom for over four years now. And I absolutely love it. I love the company. I love the people I get to work with. I love my clients. It's an op awesome opportunity. So if you do want business coaching, contact Tom Ferry Direct. Contact me, Kip Roth, on Facebook. Um, follow me on Instagram, at Kip Roth. Uh, connect with me through direct message or telephone. Um, I'm in the book. My phone number is on my Facebook page or contact Tom direct, directly. I would love to have the opportunity to work with uh, some folks out there in the audience and change their lives. Yeah, there's no, there's no doubt in my mind that Kip would be a big part of the personal development and professional growth of one's life. So I would encourage folks to 
to save this this episode, share it, um, reach out to him. Uh, Kip Roth, K-I-P-R-O-T-H. Make sure you're searching for him on social media. Kip, uh, as we close out the show, do you have a, a last tip? Uh, I, I know you, you've got probably so much in your bag that we haven't even begun to scratch the surface, but do you have a last tip or strategy or two that you could give the entrepreneurs, the professionals that are listening? We've got folks that run small we, small businesses, right? We've got lots and lots of small business owners that, that are struggling right now. Um, they're struggling financially. They're trying to figure out how to stay afloat. We've got sales professionals that are finding a completely different ecosystem of not being able to shake someone's hand and look at them in the face and, and try to close the deal. Is there a strategy, is there a tip uh, that you can leave our audience with to help them weather this storm, come out the other end stronger, brighter, um, and better? Absolutely, and thank you for the opportunity, Titus, I appreciate it. Listen, writers, you know, the Bible, Socrates, Plato, Shakespeare, Nietzsche, Young, today, Peterson, and Viktor Frankl, you mentioned World War II people, Viktor Frankl surviving the concentration camps. Here's what they teach, and it's absolutely certain, an absolute certainty, and I use it every single day in my life. What they teach is that all events, all circumstances are neutral. They only have meaning to the extent we give them meaning. Mm. Before human beings came along as sentient creatures, all right, Nothing, there wasn't somebody there to label these things. We label things and we label things based upon our beliefs, our socialization, upon myriad factors. We're choosing to label our circumstances. There was a time in my life when I labeled what was happening to me with my arms and, and, and whatnot as painful. Okay, but one day I changed that definition of what was happening to me from painful to interesting. Like mm. one little shift in my perspective of how my life really worked sent me on the path that brought me here today. I would not be here today if I hadn't made that level shift. So I would suggest to anybody out there who's, who's living a disempowering story, it's your responsibility to change that story and make it an empowering story. All events are neutral. This thing with COVID, everything happening in your life is neutral. Give it a label that empowers you. And that in and of itself will have a greater effect, a positive impact on your life than almost anything else. Just step into it. Realize you control your reality and choose a good one. Solutions from the huddle. Our guest, Kip Roth, thank you for being on the program, sir. My pleasure, Titus. Thank you so much for the opportunity. You got it. Thanks, buddy. Hey, guys, Titus Bartolotta here, your host for Solutions from the Huddle. I just wanted to thank you for tuning in today. And if you want to stay involved and engaged in the show, be sure to check out all major podcast channels by searching for Solutions from the Huddle. Thanks again for your support. We hope you come back.